you don't have to say it out loud. And this is kind of a, a little bit more of a more serious question. You don't have to say it out loud, but, it, but I want you to think for a moment. In what way are you experiencing some kind of affliction now? In what way are you suffering? Are you experiencing some health-related problem? Are you experiencing some kind of emotional pain? Maybe, maybe you're suffering at your job. Or maybe you're experiencing hardship and affliction in your home or family. I just want you to think for a moment, what hardship or difficulty are you experiencing right now? Several years ago, I spoke to a pastor who was unjustly fired from his job and then slandered by several elders. His family was crushed, especially his children, and due to the sin of several leaders, the pastor lost his job and his family, the pastor's family, lost their church home and many friends. And after he relayed all this heartache to me, he and his family had gone through with tears just streaming down this man's face. You know what his first question to me was? His first question to me was, why? Why? Think about the hardship you're going through right now, be it in your marriage, family, or with your health. What's the first question that's on your mind? Is it not why? I know it is for me. And the, the good news is that the Bible does answer that question. Indeed, it answers it very clearly, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that just in, in a few minutes. But that's, that's not the question I want us to consider this morning. You see, most often when suffering, people fall apart and spiral down into deep despair because they fail to ask another important question. And you know what that question is? That question is, what? That is, what should I be doing in the midst of my suffering? What should I be giving myself to in this hardship? What should I be doing in my hard marriage? What should I be doing at this difficult job? What should I be doing when suffering great physical pain or discomfort? The why question is important. It's very important. 
But you're never going to make it through your suffering if you don't ask the question, what? What should I be doing in the suffering? And this is precisely the question I want us to consider this morning. What should you be doing? What should I be doing in the midst of our affliction? Because look, afflicted we are, are we not? As I look out at all of you as your pastor, I know many of your struggles. I know some of you are suffering physically. I know some of you are suffering relationally. I know some of you are afflicted at your work or in your home. Some of you are suffering great loss. So what should you do? What should I do in the midst of our suffering? Well, turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2. Faith in our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, the author invites us to do something really significant and something that has absolutely arrested my attention this entire week. And you know what that is? You know what the author invites us to do? The author invites us to consider the sufferings of Jesus and what God the Father was doing in Jesus through those sufferings for us. These several verses are so rich, not only with good news, but also good counsel for how we are to live in the midst of suffering. So if you haven't already, turn there to Hebrews 2. That's page 1001 in that paperback Bible. As, as Basil mentioned, we have them there in the seat in front of you. And just to give you the context, last week we studied chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And you'll recall that those verses demonstrated why Jesus is necessary. They demonstrate why we all need Jesus. And do you remember what the, what the answer was? The author makes it clear that we need Jesus because only Jesus can restore humanity's created purpose. This was the headline from chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Only Jesus can restore humanity's created purpose. Jesus is not an angel. No, he is the incarnate Son of God, the true Davidic King. And God's design to have the world in subjection to humans is only realized through Jesus who tasted death for humans. Shall we call 
the preacher of Hebrews, he invited us to see several things. He invited us to see the divine design, how God had planned for the world to be in subjection to humanity. He invited us to see our present problem, how it's not like that right now. And then most importantly, he invited us to see our suffering Savior. So in verse 9, the author of Hebrews, he introduces the sufferings of Jesus. And this will be his focus in the verses that follow. So follow along with me as I read Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. This is what the author writes. He says, For it was fitting that he, referring to God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder, this is referring to Jesus, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he, referring to Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are sanctified all have one source, or maybe your translations have one father. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's referring to those who the Lord is bringing to glory. Verse 12, saying, this is Jesus, I will tell of your name, God's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus is saying he praises and worships God in the congregation. Verse 13, and again, referring to Jesus, Jesus saying, I put my trust in Him. Referring to God the Father, not just Him, because He says, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Amen and amen. This is God's good, good word. Yesterday, uh, at the gym, an acquaintance came up to me and said, Hey, preacher, give me some good news. <laughs> Sometimes it's like God makes it too easy. <laughs> but, but let me ask you, and, and you don't have to say it out loud, but think what would... What would you have said in that moment? Right? You're in the gym. There's lots of people all around you. How would you respond? Hey, hey, preacher, give me some good news. Here's what I did. First, I prayed. <laughs> I said a little prayer. And then I replied, you know, I said, friend, you know what's the best news the best news is that Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross to save sinful people like you and me. That's the best news. You know how he responded? His eyes got wide. 
and and I and then went a little bit further and I said actually it's better news than you think I said you see the good news of Jesus is that we can join him in glory simply by faith in what he has done not by trusting in our own righteousness Now, I, I wish I could say my acquaintance gave his life to Christ at that very moment. But he didn't. Instead, with a thankful expression, he replied, you know, I, I thought you would say something like that. <laughs> and then he said this. He said, these are good words to consider. And you know what? I pray he does consider them. And I would ask you to pray for him with me. For, for you know where I got those good words from, that good news from? I got them from the passage I just read. As you no doubt noticed, the author of Hebrews, the preacher, he makes some incredible statements in Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 13, doesn't he? Yet his, his main overarching point is simply this, and that is Jesus, our pioneer, he suffered to bring us to glory. Jesus, our pioneer, he suffered, he died, he was raised to new life to bring us to glory. This, I want to suggest, is the main point of these several verses. Now, the reason why I refer to Jesus as a pioneer is because, as verse 10 makes clear, that is what the Son of God was doing when He became a human being. He was, as pioneers do, He was leading, and He was leading many sons and daughters to glory. Indeed, as several commentators have pointed out, pioneer is the best understanding of the word founder there in verse 10. As New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner has written, he says, Jesus is the pathfinder of salvation, for the sons whom God brings to glory. He is the trailblazer who secures salvation for his brothers. But the word also carries the idea of leader. And hence, pioneer is perhaps the best rendering for the term. Jesus is the pioneer who can lead us to the glory spoken of in verse 7. The glory we have fallen from due to our sin and rebellion against God. You see, you know why we need a pioneer? You know why we need a trailblazer to lead us back to God the Father? We need a pioneer because due to our sin, we all stand condemned before God. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. In our natural state, we are not innocent. 
No, we are rebellious sinners who have sought to overthrow God's rightful rule in our lives. And due to our treason against our Creator, please hear me, you know what we're owed? We're owed judgment. Judgment for our sin. Judgment for our treason. And please hear me, and rightfully so. And here is where I want to challenge our thinking. Friend, in light of this reality, when suffering, whatever that might be for you right now at this season of your life, when suffering, instead of asking why, why me, why this, why now, You know what question you should be asking in light of this reality? You should be asking, why not? Friend, please hear me. Due to your sin, you are not owed, nor am I owed, a pain-free life. I am not owed the life I want. You are not owed the life you want. Indeed, every breath, every second is a gift from God. No, due to our sin, you know what we are owed? We are owed eternal suffering in hell. You see, what is often behind the question of why is the belief that I'm owed some kind of life for myself that I think I deserve. But friend, I would challenge you with this. That is an unbiblical thought. If we take the Word of God seriously, and I know all of us here want to do that, the Bible makes it clear due to our rebellion against God, we are all owed judgment in hell. Which is precisely why we need Jesus. This is why we need someone, as the author says, we need someone to taste death for us. This is why we need a pioneer. For what do these verses teach? The the verses I just read, verses 10 through 13, they teach that Jesus, the eternal divine Son, became a human being. He suffered and he died in your place. He rose from the dead victorious and he entered into glory. Why? So he might lead many sons and daughters to glory. Amen? Friend, are you one of those sons and daughters? Have you placed your faith in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I would plead with you to make today the day of salvation for you. Become part of the family of God. Jesus, our pioneer, suffered to bring us to glory. Please hear me. Jesus is the solution to our sin problem. But that's not all. 
as our pioneer, as the one who leads us, the New Testament also teaches that Jesus is the standard for what we are to do when suffering. He's the solution to our sin problem, and He's the standard for what we're to do in the midst of our suffering. Indeed, the New Testament goes out of its way to make this point. Consider what we read in 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a what? Example, so that you might follow in his steps. Christian, you want to know what you are to do when you experience suffering? How you are to behave? How you are to respond? What should you be giving yourself to? You want to know what you are to do? Look to your pioneer, Jesus. That is, if you want to know what you are to do when suffering some kind of ailment or dealing with some kind of persecution or experiencing a trial of various kinds, look to Jesus. And this is what I really want to press in on our hearts as a church, that I pray we in this congregation would embrace, we would embrace and we'd seek by the Spirit's help to live out. Christian, on the authority of God's Word, we are commanded... To follow the example of Jesus when suffering. That is, we must be conformed into the image of Christ. We are called to actually live like Jesus lived. So what does that look like? When our passage this morning... And this is why I say this text is so, so rich. It is brimming with good news in profound, life-changing statements. In, in our passage this morning, the author of Hebrews, I want to suggest, masterfully directs our attention to three actions Jesus took while suffering. And the Bible calls us to do the same. And the first is this, Christian. When suffering, again, we're, we're following the example of our pioneer. He's leading us. Through his work on the cross, he's leading us to glory. We have salvation. But he also wants to lead us in how we live amidst suffering. The first is this. When suffering, as we follow your pioneer, when you suffer, obey God. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, should make the founder, the pioneer of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. 
the British royal family has strict rules they must follow. For example, they are not allowed to give autographs or selfies, nor are they allowed to say the word toilet. Instead, they must say lavatory. They're also not allowed to play the game Monopoly. Multiple sources confirm this, by the way. And, And when traveling, they must always wear all black attire. These rules are fitting for the royal family. Notice what the preacher declares was fitting, that is appropriate concerning God the Father and His royal Son. It wasn't some silly rules about monopoly or travel attire. No, according to verse 10, it was fitting for God the Father to make His Son Jesus perfect through suffering. Now what does that mean? (laughs) Does it mean that Jesus was sinfully imperfect and had to suffer in order to rid himself of sin? No. You know why we know that's not the case? Because Hebrews, more than any other letter, is insistent that Jesus was free from sin. If you're the note-taking type, we see this taught in chapter 4, verse 15, chapter 7, verse 26, and chapter 9, verse 14. So what does this mean then? Well, if we keep reading, we get the answer. (laughs) Isn't that nice? The author tells us what he means when he says, when he writes that the founder was made perfect through suffering. Listen to what he says in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Referring to Jesus, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he what? Suffered. And having been made what? Perfect. He became to all those who obey Him the source of eternal salvation. So I wanted to highlight a couple things. Notice, being made perfect means learning obedience through suffering. This does not mean that Jesus was once disobedient and then became obedient. No, it means that Jesus moved from untested obedience into suffering and then through suffering into tested and proven obedience. And Him proving Himself obedient through suffering was His being perfected. Indeed, as as we continue to read on through the book of Hebrews, Such obedience qualified Jesus to be our all-sufficient high priest. So, So this is what I want you to see. As our pioneer, Jesus made it his aim to obey God the Father in his suffering. 
Indeed, elsewhere, Jesus speaks of obedience to God the Father as being his food. Do you remember this? John 4.34. Jesus says it was, it's his food to do the will of the Father. Indeed, it was Jesus' joy to please the Father even over any desire to avoid the cross. So Christian, let's, let's bring this back to to what we're experiencing. Think of the affliction and suffering you are going through. Ask yourself, what is your greatest aim? Is it to follow your pioneer? To follow the example of Christ and to obey your God? Is that your greatest aim? I ask this because that's the example Christ has given us to follow. Are, are we walking faith, community church? Are we walking in his steps? I mean, is it not true that when suffering, what we often give ourselves to is not really wanting to make it our aim to please Jesus or to obey God the Father, but rather we often give ourselves to grumbling and complaining? I know I often do. So here's a question I'd like you to consider. What would need to change for you to strive to obey God in your, let's say, difficult job or marriage? What would need to change for you to deepen or rather to adopt the pattern of Christ when suffering some kind of physical ailment rather than grumble? What would need to change? Personally, I'll, I'll tell you, I know I would need to change my perspective on suffering. First, I would need to see that it's for my good. Consider this, Christian. Just as it was fitting for God the Father to perfect Jesus through suffering. Likewise, the New Testament makes it clear that suffering is also what God finds fitting to perfect us. Now, please hear me. Not in the sense that we might save ourselves or others as Jesus does. But rather through suffering, the sin in our hearts would be revealed and repented of and our capacity to enjoy our suffering Savior would increase. But not only that, I think for us to truly make it our aim to obey God in the midst of suffering, we must have God's glory be our chief concern. I mean, Faith, look at what the author writes there at the beginning of verse 10. I mean... He, he, it, it's, he kind of just drops it in, but it's, it's not a phrase we should just move on past. Notice what he says there. What does he say about God? He writes, For whom and by whom all things exist. Faith, the entire universe, please hear me, the entire universe is God-centered, not man-centered. 
You know what that means? It means when we, in our suffering, live for ourselves, we are not only going against God, but we're going against the grain of the cosmos. That phrase, from whom and by whom all things exist, that's a precious truth intended to help you, among other things, suffer well. When suffering, let us make it our aim to obey God, not please ourselves. Well, then second, when suffering... Worship God. Look at verses 11 and 12. For he who sanctifies, referring to Jesus, and those who are sanctified, all have one source. Understand to be God the Father. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name, God's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. For my son Daniel's 13th birthday last year, I took him to see his favorite football team, the Kansas City Chiefs, play the Indianapolis Colts. And we got to the stadium early so we could see the players warm up. Daniel even made a sign. He's like, hey, it's my 13th birthday. You know, can you give me an autograph for all the players to see? Well, well, shortly after the Chiefs uh, took the field for warm-up, several players actually came over and signed the small little football that Daniel had brought. And I have to tell you, uh, those players could not have been kinder. In addition to signing his football, they looked at him and wished him a, a happy birthday. It was It was really, really special. But... Then just a few minutes later after that, another Kansas City Chiefs player, he grabbed up one, picked up one of the footballs that was there on the field. He then pointed to my son Daniel in the stands and he began to play catch with him, throwing the football with my son Daniel. And Daniel couldn't believe it. <laughs> Everybody around us couldn't believe it. In fact, the guy behind us, who I'd never met before, he videoed the whole thing on his phone. It was so incredible for him to see. Let me ask you, what do you think was the very first thing Daniel told his brothers (laughs) when he got home from that game? He told them that he played catch with an NFL player he, he couldn't wait to sing the praises of that player to his brothers. Notice we see something very similar with Jesus in the verses I just read, didn't we? Specifically there in verse 12, however, Jesus isn't proclaiming the glory of a football player to his brothers, to his sisters, those whom God has redeemed and are bringing to glory. No, he's telling his brothers and sisters of the glory of God. As I mentioned, the author here, he cites in verse 12, Psalm 22:22. Now that, that entire psalm is associated with Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And to be sure, there's a lot of important observations we could draw from that psalm in its entirety. However, the author of Hebrews chooses to quote from verse 22, where we see the Messiah calling his brothers to join him in worship. The Messiah is singing praises to the Father in the midst of God's people. Yet when you read Psalm 22 closely, and indeed when you look at the life of Christ closely, you discover that such worship was not an isolated event. Rather, it was an active part of Jesus' life in the midst of suffering. He chose to praise God and extol the greatness of God even while in turmoil. And if we're going to follow the example our pioneer has left us, then we must do the same. That is, when suffering, we must get our focus off of ourselves and instead set our minds on the beauty and perfections of our God, giving Him the praise He is due. Indeed, you want to increase your worship of God in this season of hardship or suffering? Then consider the precious truth we read there in verse 11. Namely, that God has a plan for you in the midst of suffering, and that is your sanctification. Notice, Jesus is the one who sanctifies those whom God is bringing to glory. I know what that means. On the street level, Christian, it means this. You're It means God has a purpose for your suffering. It is not pointless. We need to believe that. Or we're just going to crumble. Crumble. It is not pointless. It has a point and it's for your good. And the greatest good God can give us is to conform us more into the image of His Son. And again, I think the question to ask is, where is your focus amidst hardship? What are you setting your mind upon? Circumstantial relief? Or the soul-satisfying character of our God? who wants to do a work in and through you, if you'll allow him. Then finally, when suffering, as we follow our pioneer, trust God. And I'm getting this, hopefully you can see rather obviously, (laughs) from verse 13, where it says, And again, Jesus is the I here, I will put my trust in him. And now notice the invitation And behold, I and the children of God has given me. What did Jesus do while on this earth in his humanity? What did he do in his suffering? Friend, he trusted God the Father. And this is not just a blip on the TV screen of Scripture. We we see this all over the place. Again, I want to want to bring to your attention again that 1 Peter 2 passage, but look at what he says in verse 23. Again, he says, For to this you have been called, 
because Christ also suffered for you, and we praise the Lord for that, because through his suffering, he's going to bring us to glory. Amen? Jesus is the solution to our sin problem, but he's also the standard for how we're to live because he has left for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then notice what Peter highlights, one of the things that Christ did. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Christian, what what concerns, what are some concerns you can entrust over to God in the midst of your suffering? That is, what are some burdens you can trust to God to handle properly at the right time and in the right way? You know what often compounds our suffering? Please hear me, Christian. What often compounds our suffering are Godless thoughts. We often don't trust God to provide us with the future grace we need when we feel sick. Lord, I'm feeling sick or ill. This This chronic illness is wearing on me. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this, but God, I'm going to trust you to provide what I need when that moment arrives. We often don't trust God to help us in our time of need. Lord, I have this difficult meeting, or Lord, I have this difficult appointment, or Lord, you know the the hardships and the difficulties I'm going through with my job. Lord, I'm going to trust you to, to provide me with what I need in the moment. Many times, and I confess to you, I often don't trust that he knows what is best for me. But our pioneer did. Jesus did. Let us follow in his steps. Faith in Jesus suffered to bring us to glory. What good news, amen? Because of that, we have the hope of eternal life. So this week, no matter our hardships, may we, I pray, by the Spirit's power, obey God, worship God, and trust Him. Amen? Let's pray.